But I want to dive right in today and not waste any more of my preaching time. Uh, as we're diving into part three of our series, Risk Takers, if you've been a part uh, of any of this series, we've been looking at men and women in the scriptures uh, who had made a significant difference, an eternal difference, uh, and even a, a significant natural difference in their world, and men and women who are still influencing us today. And we've been looking at, and the reason we're called Risk Takers because um, they all had to risk something in order to accomplish God's calling. Uh, and the reality is this, Jesus said that if you follow him, you must take up your cross and deny yourself. Uh, there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a, there's a cost to fulfilling your purpose. And we're going to look today um, at someone in scripture that we can, we can glean a lot from. Uh, and that is the woman by the name of Esther. Uh, and Esther was someone who really took the risk of courage. Uh, and we're going to talk today about this idea of uh, taking the risk of courage because she and her uncle Mordecai uh, took a significant step of courage that, that really shifted the future uh, of a people group and really shaped, uh, in many ways, people even still today as we look to their life in Scripture. But before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. We pray that as we open it up today that you would speak to us. Uh, Father, we just uh, come uh, humble and, and ready to receive from you. We posture our hearts and minds to do so. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. By the way, church, I don't know if I've told you recently. I love you. I want you to know that. Uh, Christina and I love you. Uh, she is actually out of town this weekend. She's actually watching online uh, this weekend. I definitely do have a favorite online church member. Come on, okay. I don't play favorites often, but this weekend I do. Uh, it's my wife. Uh, she is uh, away with the kids. I'm actually joining them tomorrow for uh, the rest of the week, and she'll be back uh, next weekend. But we're going to look at Esther 3. If you have uh, your Bibles, if not, we're going to have them on the screens. Let me give context of where we are. Uh, so we are looking at, really, Esther chronicles uh, the life of Esther and Mordecai in the, the kingdom of Persia. Persia was a very influential kingdom. And in Esther 1 and 2, which we're kind of bypassing, um, what happened was King Xerxes, the king of Persia, he had been throwing, uh, let's just say, a banger of a party. Come on. You ever been to a great party before? Well, listen, this party lasted 187 days. Come on. You ain't party till you party with Xerxes, okay? But uh, he was uh, not known for his morality. Um, so uh, he was doing it to show off his wealth and his power. Uh, it was how, in that time, they, they, would, they would show it off. They'd just throw this party, invite everyone to it. Well, he invites his wife, Queen Vashti, who's upstairs. Uh, she, he invites her to come down, and she refuses. Uh, he then rejects her, um, even puts an edict, which uh, was very harsh upon women, essentially saying that men had control of women uh, out, of his, out of his drunken rage. He, he made this decision. And then uh, he then orders his officials to gather 400 women from around the country to, to pick one to be his, his wife. And... Um, so that happens, and one of those women is Esther. Esther was a, uh, was a, a, a Jew who was living in, in, in Susa, a province of Persia, and uh, Esther was chosen to be the next queen. Uh, at that time, we don't know for certain, but, it, but it's presumed he didn't know she was, she was a Jew. So in Esther 3, we pick up, um, she is now the queen, she's now his, his wife, and it says this, 
that after all these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of whatever that word is. I'm not going to try it. Um, hopefully, listen, if you come across a word, you're like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to pronounce that. You can skip it, okay? Um, <laughs> the Agagite elevating him. Hopefully that helps somebody. Um, giving him a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. For he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout all the whole kingdom of Xerxes. To give context, Haman, um, he came from a lineage of Amalekites, and Amalekites were in uh, constant conflict with the Israelites. So when he found out Mordecai was a Jew, that's why he enacted his rage was not just against Mordecai, but the Jews. Uh, just a reminder, sometimes the battles you find yourself in are far bigger than you. Uh, it's not just about you. This wasn't just about Mordecai and Haman. Uh, this was about a long-standing conflict that had been. But, but Haman, in his rage, uh, ends up convincing the king to write an edict to annihilate all of the Jews in the land. Um, and we're going to look at, at the remaining book of Esther to really look at from Mordecai, who was the uncle of Esther, his life and Esther's life, uh, really what are some principles, some, some, some practices of courage? Because here's a reality. Uh, you were created in the image of God. You were created to do something significant on this earth. But let me also say this. In order for you to do something significant on this earth, it's going to require courage. And we can glean some principles from their life to see this. What, one other minor note on the book of Esther um, that's intriguing. There's actually no mention of God in the book of Esther. Uh, the book of Esther is known by scholars as a book where you see the activity of God without the mention of God. So I hope that encourages someone. If you find yourself maybe in environments where you feel like you cannot talk about God, how many of you know God is not limited by anything or anyone? That God can move and work however he pleases. And we see this throughout the book of Esther. But here's the first point, the first kind of principle, quality of courage is that we have to stand firm on our convictions. We have to stand firm on our convictions. Mordecai in this moment, he, he does not bow down to Haman. Now, upon first glance, I'd be thinking, well, is, is, you know, why, why did Mordecai not bow down to Haman? Is there a, is, you know, why, why didn't he show honor to, to Haman? Because this bowing down to Haman was not just merely showing honor. It was actually, actually an act of worship. And Mordecai in this moment is saying, listen, I only worship one God, Yahweh. I do not worship a man. So, so Mordecai, which by the way, Mordecai was a Persian official. 
He was in the king's court. Uh, he, he, was, he was high up in the government, but yet he was also the unofficial leader of the Jews. And in this moment, that even though he was a part of Persia, even though he had benefited from Persia, he said, listen, listen, there are certain things I'm willing to do as a part of this culture, but I have a line that I will not cross. And can I tell you, as the people of God, there will come a time in your life, there will come a time in our culture where we say there are certain lines we will not cross. Can I get an amen? And he's, now somebody thinking to yourself, well, Jeremy, this is not relevant to me because I'm not going to go into work tomorrow. My boss is like, bow down and worship me, right? You know, if that's the case, do let us know. Um, we need to lock that person up. Um, so probably crossing some HR uh, laws. That's not appropriate. So, but listen, we don't have maybe people in our life demanding our worship. But can I tell you, in our Western culture, there are certain things that if we're not careful can become the center of our life and can take the seat that God is supposed to have in our life. They can be like things such as work or the pursuit of success uh, or the pursuit of educational achievement uh, or a relationship in our life or even our, our family or our children. All of those things are good things, but none of those things were ever intended to be in the place that God is supposed to have in our life. And you have to decide, even do some reflection, is there anything in my life that is trying to take center place of my life? You know, I was reminded, um, as I was thinking about this message, uh, I was at a, a Washington uh, Mystics game not long ago. And, uh, and they, were, they, were, they were launching, have you ever been at a sporting event where they like launch t-shirts in the crowd? Right, you see like grown men lose their mind, right? Come on, right? Like, like have you ever watched the, 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 the um, they'll review a game, and you'll see, like, someone get injured over a $5 T-shirt, right? There's something about the launching a T-shirt in a crowd that makes you lose your mind. I think, I don't know if there's something in us that's like, let's throw out reason right now. But they're clamoring for this shirt. And listen, the, 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 the devil himself uh, may not be uh, externally or, let me say this, overtly thinking to yourself, well, he, he's not... He's not clamoring for my heart. But do you know how the enemy clamors for your heart? Is he gets you consumed with something else other than God. To where next thing you know, you are consumed with work. And here's how, here's a signal that, that perhaps something in your life is taking a center place that God is supposed to have. Is that you are, you are saying no to God for that thing. I, I, I've been there personally. I, I've shared this before, but years ago, um, and I, I still have to keep it in balance, is work. I love to work. I, I mentioned before, you know, I mean, it, it's a recent thing for me that I now have hobbies. It used to be before, if you said, Jeremy, what do you do for fun? I would say work. What do you do on the weekends? I work. What do you do when you have free time? I work. Can anyone relate? Some of you are looking, looking at me all holy. Come on, I know. I know who you are. And, and what happened was I began to have success as a psychologist years ago, and I began to go into the, to the office earlier. And let me, let me just say this. It's, it's one thing to say, hey, it's a busy season, and my time with God is maybe limited or reduced, or my time in church is having to pull back a little bit for a season because of a busy season. But listen, be careful because a busy season can become a slippery slope. 
And what happened was I began to forsake my time with God for more time at work. And I would not have said this, but my little G God was work. It was success. And in our Western culture, we will, we will, we will celebrate that, won't we? Come on, we got hashtag rise and grind. Hashtag no days off. Can I tell you, that's called idol worship. So you have to be, you have to guard your heart. You have to say, as for me and my house. You have to protect your heart. I was reminded uh, when we first had our, our oldest, Hannah, um, many of you have been on Catalyst, you know this. Uh, I am a fan of God's favorite team, the Baltimore Ravens. Come on, somebody. Um, uh, they're saying they might win the Super Bowl this year. I don't want to speak too confidently, but I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Um, and I, we first had our first child, Hannah. She, uh, someone sent us a, a, a Pittsburgh Steelers onesie, a friend of mine, as a joke. So I, I don't play. I cut that thing up. I sent him a picture. I said, don't you ever bring this trash into my house ever again. And I burned it. And I, I taught Hannah at a young age, we do not compromise. Come on. We make good decisions as the boroughs. Come on, somebody. So now, listen, all of, all of uh, the boroughs family, if you would come over our house, especially during football season, come on, somebody. They all got a Lamar Jackson jersey. Let's go. Let's go. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and cheer for the Baltimore Ravens. Let's go. Ravens flock, okay? But you have to make that decision. <laughs> about God. He, he's going to be center of my life. And in Deuteronomy, it says to fear the Lord and to serve him only, only, only. But, but, but Mordecai in this moment is he's taking this stand on his conviction. Again, he had this line that he would not cross. If you are a follower of Jesus, our conviction begins with, if you're a follower of Jesus, this word, and let me just say this, I'm going to say this lovingly but boldly because I love you. That if you are saying, I am a follower of Jesus, my allegiance is to King Jesus, I do not fit this word into my life. I begin to shape my life around his word. Because I say your ways are higher than our, my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And, and I know, listen, we culturally, listen, I'm all about we should affirm each other and who we are. But listen... We need to remind ourselves we are not on the same level as God. He is God and you are not. So listen, his word is eternal and your thoughts are not. So we, we, we begin to, we start there. But then we're sensitive. Listen, you need to be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because there are some gray areas in scripture. There are some things that are black and white, but then some things are gray. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Bible calls him the counselor. He's a counselor. I, I was reminded of the importance of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've said this before, but the Holy Spirit is like your personal warning system to prevent you from making bad decisions. The other night I was watching the new Jurassic Park. I don't know if you've seen that. It's okay, my mind. Uh, I did like kind of the throwback to some of the older movies. Uh, but there was this moment in the movie, and if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I'm spoiling this. Uh, they were flying into the island where the dinosaurs were. And then all of a sudden, the pilot gets this notification on her dashboard that air defense system is down. And they're like, what's the air defense system? And they say, well, the air defense system keeps the prehistoric birds from, from flying up in the air. 
Well, next thing you know, their plane, the shadow goes over their plane. And this like gigantic pterodactyl begins to attack their plane. Now, when that dashboard indicator came on, one of the guys was like, maybe we should turn around, right? Like prehistoric birds, like I don't know if I want to mess with that. And listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit now indwells in you. So, so oftentimes what we even think is our conscience is actually the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, listen, here's how it can work. It's when you're about to send that email with a certain tone. Come on, somebody. And there's something on the inside of you that says, maybe I should wait. That when <laughs> somebody said, hey, man, I've been there. On Tuesday, come on. <laughs> or when you're about to use a certain tone with your spouse, come on, married people, and something in you says, no, I'm going to zip that up, come on. Or, or you're watching something, or you're listening to something, or you're about to buy something, and, and it's not even wrong. Are you following me? But there's something in you that says, I, I shouldn't do that. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, 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 hey. Don't go down this path. Don't, don't go down this route. Because you may not see what's on the other side, but he does. So, so we need to be saying, listen, let me just say this. If you, if you begin to close your ear off to those nudges of the Holy Spirit, what will happen, you'll eventually harden your heart to God. So be sensitive, even when it doesn't make sense. And listen, he will often convict you in private to actually save you from destruction in public. So he'll, he'll convict you with, of things nobody else knows about. And the natural mind can, can say, well, well, no one, this isn't hurting anybody. But he's saying, I'm trying to save you from yourself. And, and Mordecai was heeding the conviction of the, the Holy Spirit. I, I sometimes get, I, get, I get questions uh, as, a, as a pastor. People ask me this. Jeremy, um, is this, and fill in the blank, whatever it might be, is this a sin? Like, I'm dating somebody. If I do this, is this a sin? Jeremy, if I do this this weekend, is that a sin? And here's my response. People ask me that question. Because there are some gray areas of Scripture. Um, I always say this. And let, actually, let me give you the Scripture first. It's out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. It's the Apostle Paul. And here's what he says. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. Everyone say Beneficial. He, he says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So here's what he says. There are certain things that are permissible, but they're not beneficial. The question should not be, is what I'm about to do sin? The question should be, is what I'm about to do beneficial to my relationship with God and the call of God on my life? Because if you live your life sin management, it's not very effective. But when you live your life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, submitted to the word of God, and you're saying, is what I'm about to do, Holy Spirit, help me, beneficial, you'll walk more in the purposes and promises of God. So you have to stand on your convictions. Here's the second point, is you have to choose calling over comfort. Esther 4.1, the king brings the edict, annihilate all of the Jews. Mordecai, who is out in the, the king's court, he, he learns of all that had been done, it says in verse 1. He tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. 
Mordecai, so in that time, when you put on sackcloth and ashes, it was, it was exemplifying you were in a time of prayer and fasting. So Mordecai enters a time of prayer and fasting. Here's what I love, that all of a sudden, some, like Mordecai, who is an official in the Persian kingdom, all of a sudden hears his kingdom is going to annihilate him and his people. And the first thing he does is go into prayer and fasting. Can I ask you this question? Where do you turn when things go sideways in your life? Where do you turn when that situation at work goes sideways? Where do you turn when that routine doctor's visit turns into a really bad report? Where do you turn when you are hit with unexpected news from your spouse? When you receive a, a, a bill, unexpected bill, that just kind of wild. Where do you turn? If we're not careful, we can find ourselves turning to our anxious thoughts and let anxiety just run its course. We can throw ourselves into work and try to work our way out of it. We can, we can throw ourselves into entertainment or some substance to numb it of the pain. And I want to I encourage us as the people of God. We say this here at Catalyst Church. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. When things go sideways, see a counselor, but first talk to the great counselor. When, when things, when you get that bad report from the doctor, you need to go see some medical professionals. But talk to the great physician. Are you following me, church? That, that we, that will be our first response. You know, in the Burroughs household, whenever my children, something goes sideways for them, it could be um, it really almost anything, to be honest. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Is that really almost any sort of need crops up in my child's life, if any, even desire, in the Burroughs household, you will hear one name that is above every name in my child's vocabulary. And it sounds something like this, mom, can any moms relate? Come on, some of you just got a little bit of trauma. Like, oh, are they here? No, thank God for our kids' ministry. Right? Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, he hit me. Mom, what do you need? I just want mom. <laughs> you have a father too. Can any dads relate? It's like, I'm here. I'm here. But where's mom? I'm right here. <laughs> but I thought to myself, in the same way my kids so quickly turned to their mom, may we so quickly turn to Jesus, man, when things go sideways at work, before we talk to a coworker about it, we talk to our Heavenly Father about it. When, 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 we, when we all of a sudden get that negative report from the doctor that, that we have a condition, we, we go to God about it. He turns to God. And then, in es a little bit later in verse 12, he has this conversation with Esther. And many of you may have heard of this. If you, if you don't know the book of Esther well, you may know of this, this moment of Esther. This is actually where there's a turning point. So if, if you look at the grand, the book of Esther, all eight chapters, they actually call the book of Esther a divine reversal. And about midway through, things begin to shift and change. Uh, and this is where it happens. It begins with a time of prayer and fasting. And here's what happens. Um, Mordecai and Esther have an exchange. And here's what he says to Esther. Do, you, do not think that because you are in the king's house, 
you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You listen, you need somebody in your life like Mordecai. Listen, if you don't have somebody in your life who will tell you how it is, you need to get someone in your life who is unimpressed with you. He was unimpressed as she was queen. Because he was like, listen, come on, I, I raised you. Come on, somebody. Like, like I, I, I ra- he actually raised Esther because her, her parents were deceased. So, so he, he tells her the truth. Here's what he tells her. Esther, God's will, God's plan will happen with or without you. But perhaps, just perhaps, it was God, not you, who put yourself in this position for this very purpose. And let me just say this lovingly but directly. God's will will happen with or without you. Uh, Just to humble us all in this room a little bit more and those of you online, God does not need you. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on. But here's the beautiful thing. God in his glory chooses you. He chooses you with all your faults, all your hang-ups. He still says, I want to partner with you. And Mordecai is saying, Esther, God wants to partner with you. He's saying, perhaps, perhaps you're in this place for such a time as this. And here's what he's saying to her. This is the time. He's helping her to to discern God's will. And this is a big decision for Esther because she's about to risk her position. Come on. She is in the royal kingdom of Persia. She's eating the finest foods, wearing the finest linens, has all of the desires of life she has. So she has to make a decision. Am I going to give up my comfort for God's calling? Am I going to give up the comforts of my life for the sake of these people? And listen, this is important. I want to to speak this for a moment. The importance of learning how to discern God's will and God's timing. Because here's what Mordecai says. Esther, you have a window of time. Now, there's there's a word for time in the New Testament Greek called kairos. And kairos, time, refers to an opportunity, a moment that God will do something. And, and let me just say this, that, that God's will and what God wants to do in a situation, in a season, has a window of time. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm not saying. If you miss that window, it's not saying you forever have missed God's will because God can, it's not like he just completely then moves on without you. He'll give you other opportunities. But there are certain things in life that have a window of time. For example, my window of time of entering the NBA is over. It doesn't matter if I hit the courts tomorrow with LeBron James. Like, I'm 39 years old. Ain't nobody getting, ain't nobody going to draft an overweight man in his 40s in the NBA. Come on, somebody. Like, that day has passed. I should have made that decision like 16. Are you following me? I know it's comical and simple, but I want you to hear this. Because listen, sometimes we will drag our feet on the will of God because we are afraid. And we don't treat what is most important with any sense of urgency. 
And you need to discern God's will and God's timing because there's a, there's a moment. There's a moment that God will give you to say. The, and here's how you can know. Here's how it can begin. Where you just sense something on the inside of you, I, I think we should try to have kids this year. Or, or you sense something on the inside of you, I think I'm supposed to look for another job. I, I think this year coming up is the year to start that business. I, I think we need to prepare to sell our house. When you sense those little nudges, those little, those little moments of like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something. Now take a word of wisdom from Esther. She had a Mordecai. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs eleven fourteen: A lack of guidance, a nation fails, but victory is won through many advisors. Can I tell you, you need godly people in your life who can help you to discern his will. Who you can submit, hey, I'm sensing this. Can I tell you, I have our overseers here at Catalyst who are pastor me. They serve that role. I have close friends that I go to. And you don't need like 15. I have about three or four close friends and three overseers, these leaders in my life, that I'll go to on a regular, hey, I'm, I'm sensing this, especially big decisions. I remember back when I had met Christina, and um, I, in my heart I was like, she's, I think she's my wife. And I, uh, I remember I went to uh, my pastor. I went to my community group leader. And I went to some, some family of mine and some, another close friend of mine to ask them, hey, I'm sensing this. Is this God or did I just have cold pizza last night, right? Or am I just like, you know, overwhelmed with her beauty? Come on, somebody. That's for you, baby, if you're watching. You're beautiful. <laughs> like, and can I tell you? There are some decisions I'm making right now in my life that I'm leaning into the counsel of, I'm leaning into these godly counselors. I'm saying, hey, can you pray through this? I remember a few, a few uh, about a year and a half ago, one of my overseers, he actually fasted with me and prayed with me about something. You need people in your life like that. Let me just go as far as to say this. I'm not making a, a for certain statement, but I think looking at the scriptures, I think it's difficult to know the will of God apart from the people of God. So, listen, I, it is dangerous to try to discern what am I supposed to do apart from any godly counsel. Now, you need godly counsel. That's why we encourage you. Get in a community group. Get, get around some people who can help you to discern, to know what is the will of God in my life. Well, then Esther replied to Mordecai in verse 15. So he tells her this. She's discerning. And she actually calls for a fast, a time of fasting and praying. Again, her first response is, is to fast and pray. And fasting is to abstain from something. And I think it's intriguing that, that in this moment she's abstaining from, from something for the sake of getting clarity from the Lord. You know, in Hebrews uh, 12, verse 1, it actually says to throw off every hindrance and to, in the sin that easily entangles us, to run the race God's marked out for us. Now, she's fasting and praying for, for, for seeking clarity. In fact, uh, scholars conclude that in this moment is when Esther actually gets the wisdom from God, the plan from God on how to go about setting the Jews free and enabling them to live in freedom. But here's what I want to speak to, that Hebrews verse which talks about throwing off the hindrance. She's abstaining from food. And, and let me just say this, as you pursue the next season of God's calling for your life, there may be some things in your life that were okay in this season, but in order for you to step into your next season, you need to cut them out of your life. 
there are some relationships you've allowed to be in your life that are not going to be able to be there in the next season of God's calling for your life. There are some habits you have right now that you cannot take with you in your next season. And may I be as bold to say this, if you do not throw off those hindrances, as Hebrews 12 says, those things will begin to drag you down, pull you back. You may need to cut out some relationships of people who are not going hard after God. I'm not saying you're like mean to them. You just distance yourself. You, you allow them to have less influence in your life. And you get involved in some community groups, get involved in some community here to get some godly counsel in your life. I remember back when we first, on a practical level, we, we, got our, we had Hannah. Oh, I've been thinking a lot about her when she was a baby. She's now eight years old. But we had, when we got married, Christina and I had this, um, this glass table. Um, in fact, actually, when we got married, we also had, uh, we, we, you know, we came to, we moved in together after we got married. And I had, um, I had this old um, love seat, uh, kind of a bachelor's love seat. I had gotten, like, secondhand, uh, which to me wasn't a big deal, but come on, somebody. It may have had a few stains on it. Uh, I will not confirm nor deny it. So when we got married, how many of you know your brother had to cut that out of his life? Come on, somebody. I had to give that away. I couldn't even sell it. I had to give it away. I'm just like, like can I pay you to take it? Like, Christina was just like, hey, we, we, you can't take that with us into the season, right? And we had Hannah. We had this glass coffee table. It was beautiful. And when she started pulling herself up, we were afraid she was going to pull the glass over on top of her. So to move into the season of baby and having children, we had to remove some things out of our life. Now, I know that's practical, but maybe for you in this season, there are some habits you have. Maybe it's staying, it can be as simple as you're staying up late, you're watching entertainment, and then what happens is you're not getting up later, and you're not having time with God. Maybe you cut out some of those habits so you can have new habits of reading the scripture and prayer. What is it for you that you're saying, I need to cut out some things in this season in order to move into my next season. You need to choose calling over comfort. And here's point three. We're going to close with this. Is that you then have to act courageously. You have to act courageously. Esther 5, Esther goes before King Xerxes. And she goes before King Xerxes and she, she basically uh, petitions the king. Which, by the way, she risked her life doing this. Uh, by going before the king. Even though she was his wife, she was still not allowed in the king's court. Uh, so when, if you came to the king unsummoned, you could be killed in a moment for that. Including hit her as his wife. She came unsummoned. And she goes to petition to ask, can I have a banquet and I'm going to invite Haman. Long story short, what she was doing was, God gave her this plan. That she was going to indict Haman. Because Haman had intended to kill Mordecai. And she was going to reveal that she was a Jew. Uh, and that she wanted to save her people. So she goes before the king, and then that night in Esther 6, I want to read this, because that night after she approached the king, uh, Mordecai, or not Mordecai, Xerxes is, is having some, some bedtime reading, just some light bedtime reading, bedtime story. Verse 1, it says this, um, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the Persian Chronicles, the record of his reign, so basically the historical record, to be brought and read to him. It was found recorded there. Mordecai had exposed uh, Bigthana and Teresh. Uh, if you ever are thinking about what do we name our next child, I think those are two good options. 
two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received uh, for this? And the king asked, nothing has been done for him. His attendants answered. So in this moment, I love this because Esther came. Listen to this. She watch this. She, she, she took a move, a faith, an act of courage. And then that night, the king couldn't sleep. Now listen, it doesn't say this explicitly, but, but here's in my spirit as I read this. I think as God saw the faith of Esther, because she was willing to risk her life for the sake of the Jewish people. She had the courage on behalf of the Jewish people. And listen, the Bible says this, faith without works or movement is dead. And that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God saw Esther move. Watch this. And then God moved on the king's heart at night. May I remind you, our God never sleeps nor slumbers. In fact, while you're sleeping, our God is working. While Esther was sleeping, she didn't know what was happening. God was working on the king's heart. When we move, God, God moves. And then in verse 7, it happens next. As Esther again goes before the king, says, if I found favor with you, if it pleases you, grant my petition and spare my people. She asked the king to spare the Jewish people. It's intriguing that, that Esther, she did one act of courage. But then she had to do it again. It was even bolder because she revealed that she was a Jew. Who the king had just did an edict to kill all the Jews. And you know what we find in the scriptures? You know what we find in my own life personally? Maybe you've experienced this. This journey of faith that we are on as followers of Jesus. It is one act of courage after another act of courage. After another act of courage. Have you found this? In fact, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, be courageous. Now this, this, I had never seen this before, so I looked up the Greek of that word courageous. You know what that word courageous means in the Greek? To become mature or to grow up. Do you know how you become spiritually mature? You do it, you take an act of courage. You step out in faith and you be courageous. If you're like me, I wish that I grew spiritually in a classroom. Anybody else? Like I love to read books. Like, give me a book assignment, Lord. But faith is not developed. Maturity is not developed in the classroom. It's developed on the field of life. So so oftentimes if you're saying, God, I want to grow spiritually, you may not need another Bible study. You might need to take a step of courage. Where you actually take a step before you know what's going to happen. Esther risked her life on behalf of the Jew. She knows what's going to happen. It reminded me of my, my own personal journey and even the journey of this church. 2010, uh, 11 rather, we moved to the Washington, D.C. area. We had felt God spoken, many of you know this, that Christina and I, we were going to move to the D.C. area to be a part of a local church. I had to find a job as a psychologist. And about three months prior to, um, I worked as a psychologist in the schools, the end of a school year, I didn't have a job yet up here. And I felt the, the Holy Spirit, and again, I got some godly counsel. I felt discerning that God had asked me to quit my job where we were living in Virginia Beach before I had a job up here. 
And I said, I don't think that's Jesus. That's definitely cold pizza. So I'm not going to do that. No, I, I really thought it was the Lord because Jeremy would not have done that. And I remember when I went to my, 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 my supervisor, I said, hey, um, I'm, this is my resignation letter. And they were actually planning to promote me that year. And she said, oh, well, what job do you have? And I said, none. <laughs> have, you, have you heard of none before? I, I have no job. And uh, ended up leading to a faith conversation at Howarth. And a month before we were to move up here, I got a job. What was God teaching me? Jeremy, will you trust me? And then in 2018, uh, actually 2017, God put in our Christina's heart. We discerned it, had leaders help us discern it. We were to start what is Catalyst Church. So in 2018, I had left a comfortable position for a large church in the area, and I didn't have a promise of an income or benefits or anything when I stepped out. And can I be honest? Then I had three children. It's one thing to take a step of courage when you like, it was like just Christina and I were like, we'll figure it out. But now I have kids to take care of. But can I tell you, listen, there have been times I've missed it. So this isn't to glorify Jeremy, this is to glorify God. But can I tell you, every time, church, I am taking a step, a courageous and bold step for God, he has been more than faithful. I look at this church right now, and it's God. It's God. Like, I, I didn't, I, like, no person can do what God's doing in the life of our church. So here's my challenge for you. What is God asking you to do? When you move, he says, now I see you, trust me. And when you walk by faith, you please God. And he will do exceedingly and abundantly, church. Church, can you buy?